Leah, you want to press star one? Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, March 4th, 2013. Today we're reading from the big book. You're going to find us in Chapter 11, A Vision for You, on page 151. Today's readers are Katie, Penny E., Judy B., and Fran. And the share code for yesterday's meeting, that's Sunday, March 3rd, Allergy of the Body, Obsession of the Mind, 4007. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lois to read the 12 Steps. Uh, Good morning, everyone. This is Lois, Massachusetts. And um, the 12 steps, one, we admitted that we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory of our wrongs, uh, inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you. I will now call on Rebecca to read the 12 Traditions. 
Good morning. This is Rebecca F. from Connecticut, the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to compulsive over the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest money, problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting... Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book on page 151, chapter 11 of Vision for You. And I will ask Katie to begin reading. Good morning, I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Chapter 11, A Vision for You. For most normal folks, Drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. It means release from care, boredom, and worry. It is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good. But not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. 
Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did and a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. I have this entire chapter, I mean, uh, paragraph underlined, except for that last sentence for some reason. Um, And the fact is, for me, I really can't remember when it actually was um, conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. Because once I started eating, it's like the rest of the room kind of went blank. So it wasn't, um, you know, I just would like to say that I can say that I have memories of it really being that wonderful. But really what it was was me wanting it to be um, something where I could just eat a little bit of really wonderful food and not want more. And that mental obsession would take over every time. And, of course, as it says, you know, in those last days, um, it was even worse. And that was my case, too. You know, in my last days, I couldn't even uh, get past 10 a.m. And that was, you know, getting up at 9 before I was um, into the sugar and into... uh, you know, the mental gymnastics of should I, shouldn't I, I'll wait a half an hour, maybe, ne- you know, maybe later, well, I'll start over after lunch, well, you know, and on and on. I just, I get exhausted thinking about the mental torture I went through. And, you know, I can't really remember a time when food was the friend that I wanted it to be. It wasn't. It wasn't, um I wanted to have what other people seemed to have in their relationship with food, but I never had it. Um, And, you know, it takes gut-level honesty and willingness to be able to accept that reality. And that's what this program is about. This program is about facing what we have, facing the fact that you have a twofold illness, um, an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, and you will never ever be like uh, that uh, illusion you have in your head. And that's what I have to accept on a daily basis. And I'm happy. That's the miracle of this program. That's the vision we have is that it's not, it's not gloom and doom. I'm a very happy woman today, and I coexist with food, um, not pining away for more. And I'm very grateful with that I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. This is Paula. May I share? Of course, Paula. You know, what was read, uh, thank you, uh, this would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and, you know, it starts, a vision for you. Well, there is the vision also of where this disease brought me. And until I could see that clearly, I could see nothing else. But this part here, 
there was always one more attempt and one more failure. It's a strange thing, because as was just shared, everything was underlined except for that last line. Do you know? I underlined nothing except that last line. And it's underlined in red, almost like a big stop sign that I didn't heed. But all the rest, all the rest I lived. But there was always one more attempt and always one more failure. How could it ever be a success? Not anymore. For those days, and it says it clearly, the old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. But they were memories that were so elusive and I kept running after them. Like I would grasp them now. This time it would be different. This time it's not going to be the same. No. But even for our friends in the beginning of the book, even for Fred and Jim, mm -mm, there you go. They looked in. Oh, didn't it look grand? Didn't it look grand? But let me tell you, there was no greatness there. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Melanie? Melanie and then Kim, please. Thanks. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. And I read uh, Chapter 11, A Vision for You. And I like to look at that as a hope for you, a thing for you. We're going to wrap this thing up. And so they come out with a bang to show me the contrast again. I have um, a different way that I am related to my food than the than most normal people. And that would show me again that um, that I have something to be concerned with, that I might very well be a compulsive overeater, as they indicated um, before as they wrote these things. And it's quite a huge contrast. I um, can remember some times of conviviality and colorful imagination in the beginning. I, there were lots of places I would be involved in that was wonderful and fun. But for me, and as I read here, that that soon went away and it was horrible and certainly after when I was done and that moment after I was able to, to lie to myself saying I was a, having a great time and this is great fun and look at all this food, uh, look at this display of great stuff here, I would be horrified again and tormented and, and, and my heart would be broken. And so we're just gearing up uh, here to talk about though but I like to look at as the vision for you in all of this. But again, the contrast. For uh, for them, it was the drinking. For me, it was the food. There was something different about my relationship that was not normal that said that something was going on here. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Kim, please. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim J. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did and a heartbreaking obsession that some miracle of control would enable us to do that. And that just describes to me my career in compulsive overeating. You know, this is a vision for you. This is so exciting. Once again, we're starting a new chapter, and this is the chapter our meeting was named after. Because this is a vision for you. This is a vision of what your life can be like once you accept that you are a compulsive overeater and you are not like most normal folks. You know, yes, I did. I remember, I remember when, life, when food was conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. I remember as a young child being down the Jersey Shore on the boardwalk and, you know, getting excited because the funnel cakes were at this stand and there would be an ice cream cone at this stand. And it was, it was a way to have fun with my cousins and I would be walking down the boardwalk 
holding my dad's hand, giggling as the ice cream would be melting and I'm trying to eat it fast enough in order for it to not to get on my hand. You know, but just like, just like Hurricane Sandy came through and decimated, decimated my Jersey Shore, it will never be the same, never. And I will never be able to go back to that boardwalk feeling of walking with my dad. But just as the same with Hurricane Sandy, I believe that New Jersey will, will rebuild an even better boardwalk. The 12 steps has allowed me to build an even better life. I have a life better today than before I knew I was a compulsive overeater. But part of that process was the heart I had to, the heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control will enable us to do it. It's an obsession and it's heartbreaking. I'm never going to be able to control those foods. I will always have this allergy to the body. I will always have that allergic reaction of never being satisfied when I ingest my binge food. But through the miracle of this 12-step program, I can walk through these steps. I can get reconnected with a higher power. And I can learn to enjoy life so that I can find conviviality, companionship, colorful imagination. I can find relief from care, boredom, and worry through this fellowship, through God, and through these 12 steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Barbara. Barbara, go ahead. Thank you. This is Barbara, a compulsive overreader. I'm very glad to be reading this paragraph this morning. And what it does is it takes me back to a big book meeting uh, that I used to go to. Many AA women come to OA, used to come to it. And when we looked at this paragraph, it was an awakening for me because many of the AA women said, you know, that was my experience with alcohol, the time at the bars, the time at parties. But their experience with food was that it was a very lonely, isolating experience. And that is my experience, not using alcohol, but always having food as my drug of choice, drug of my family. And so for me, it was always being out and being apart from the beginning, from childhood but going home from gatherings and eating alone, crying, wanting to stop and not being able to through my life, through my whole career as an active compulsive overeater, and going into fantasy to get what's described here. It was movies. It was my dreams. That was my vision of those pleasures. Never happened. Pure fantasy. It's only, as uh, is often said, the flight into reality with the 12-step way of life and abstinence and recovery that this vision comes through, that, that I can go and be with people now being free of the bondage of food and working through the steps of free of fear and anger and all the other things that the 12-step way relieves me of. That's when this vision comes true. That's where the companionship is. That's where that colorful imagination can become a reality. So I'm very glad and very grateful to be looking at this uh, this morning. Pass. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, I, too, uh, was no vision for you when I arrived here. Um, it says, for most normal folks, 
drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. Well, you know, that's for most normal folks. For someone like me, um, you know, it says drinking means conviviality. It means, conviv- you know, festivity and, and, um, and a banquet and, and food and drink and good company, you know. Uh, not for someone like me, not for a real compulsive overeater like me. The conviviality and the companionship, I mean, the reality of my situation was that I was in a car in a dark parking lot uh, close to midnight with three pints <laughs> on my lap um, and a uh, array of, uh, you know, wrappers and and boxes and bags on the passenger seat next to me as I watched people perhaps, you know, uh, walk up and down the streets uh, with friends and and loved ones. I'm sitting in a car in a parking lot uh, with my loving husband awaiting me at home and colorful imagination. I mean, I was escaping reality. I was not doing this uh, for fun at that point. I was doing this to escape, to medicate, to numb out. I couldn't uh, live life on life's terms. Couldn't live life on life's terms. It didn't mean companionship for me. Uh, You know, living in disease for someone like me, not a normal eater, meant isolation. It meant isolation. It goes on to say it means release from care, boredom, and worry. It is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good. Uh, Compulsive overeating for me was suicide on a layaway plan. It was not joyous intimacy with friends. It was close the curtain, turn on the tube, sit on the couch, um, you know, miss school, miss work, uh, say no to social events, not uh, develop my relationships, not meet with friends and family, uh, not be emotionally or physically intimate with a husband. That's not (laughs) joyous intimacy. It says, but not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone. I mean, absolutely, they were but memories. Um, You know, just we have a tendency of euphoric recall, like glorying the gory days, Um, You know, that kind of life wasn't a life at all. You know, they say that the greatest loss in life is death. I think the greatest loss in life is dying inside while you're still alive. You know, but I didn't want to take a look at that. My pain had no memory. Uh, You know, I I can't remember the pain, and so I would keep dipping back into those bakery boxes and those... um, cellophane bags and thinking, you know, someday, sooner or later, I'm going to recapture that feeling of exhilaration that I had during a binge. I'm going to recapture it, and I might have to change jobs, and I might have to, uh, you know, change cities, and I might have to change husbands. One day, I'm going to be able to go back to the way I used to be, and I don't even remember when that was because my disease reared its head when I was such a young child. I could never recapture those great moments of the past that Kim just talked about. I don't even know if I ever had them. It says there was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did, a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. I mean, that was the the deception of it all. You know, I was certainly fixating on what it was like, not what happened, not the consequences of my behavior. I was fixating on perhaps that initial eight seconds of exhilaration and relief, that sense of ease and comfort that I would feel when I would dig my fist into the next bag. 
there was always one more attempt and one more failure. I mean, there were lists and lists I have of, you know, the remedies and and methods that I tried to control. But the reality was when I was enjoying my, my foods, I, I couldn't control it. And when I was controlling it, I certainly couldn't enjoy it. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. This is Diane from New Hampshire. Your turn. Hi. Um, yes, I remember a year ago when I, um, just before I came back into these rooms, that, um, you know, standing in my pantry still full of sugar and flour and wanting more and looking for that hit and not being able to find it, not feeling that hit. Um, and um, I remember standing there, and, and when you've been in program before, some of the things you've learned go through your head, and I hadn't been in program in 14 years, and I heard this is a progressive disease, you know? This is, this, this is a killer. And, you know, if you don't do something, you're not going to be around to see the the things in your family that you should be around for. And, um, you know, never could I recapture the great moments of the past, like I said, if I ever even had them. But I was so sick, so sick, so desperate. And, and I, like I said, I was full of sugar. And I couldn't make it past 2 o'clock in the afternoon without laying down and then getting back up again you know, and, and, and eating and eating and eating. And and that's when I knew that that moment that it, I was, you know, I was I was done and I had to do something. And I am so grateful. And um, so I was so out of control. And I'm just so grateful that um, I made it back into these rooms. Thank you very much. I passed. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else before we move on to the next paragraph? Okay, then let's move on to the next paragraph with Penny E., please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everybody. My name is Penny E. I'm a recovered compulsive overreader from South Jersey. The less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself. As we became subjects of King Alcohol, shivering denizens of his mad realm, the chilling vapor that is loneliness settled down. It thickened, ever becoming blacker, Some of us sought out sordid places, hoping to find understanding, companionship, and approval. Momentarily, we did. Then would come oblivion and the awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. And I got my hand up. I do. I do. I understand. It's been a long time, a very long time, since I experienced this. I have it written in my margin here, hell on earth, and it was hell on earth. I was like the walking dead. You know, I, uh, I just didn't want to be here. I didn't have the courage to uh, kill myself, but terror, bewilderment. I mean, every day was terror. How was I going to get through this day? How was I going to get into the shower? You know, how was I going to face people who I knew were all talking about me? Um, But I want to focus on the first few sentences. The less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society itself. And I don't know how much people 
uh, didn't tolerate me, but I knew I didn't tolerate myself. Uh, I couldn't stand it. I worked in a, in a uh, field where um, everybody was pretty much beautiful and, and in normal body sizes, and I wore an outfit one day, a white outfit that I thought I looked fabulous in. And my supervisor called me into the office and said, don't ever wear that, wear that outfit again. It makes you look large, very large. And I thought I was just going to have to kill myself, kill myself. I couldn't tolerate it. They couldn't tolerate it. You know, I was... I was uh, representing people from my, from my company, they didn't, they couldn't tolerate it. I remember having to tell my very, very dear friend that I couldn't be a bridesmaid in her wedding. Why? Because I didn't want to be the fat bridesmaid shopping for a dress in twenty fours or twenty sixes while they were all in their threes, fours, six. That's what I thought anyway. She was furious with me. Couldn't tolerate me. You know, and then I wanted to withdraw from society. I didn't want to go out. I wanted to stay in my sweats. I wanted to just be my, by myself. It was too difficult subjecting myself to to all what I thought was going on. It says as we became subjects of king alcohol, subjects. I looked it up. I had a little time here. Under the rule of another, under the rule of king alcohol, and we looked to see it's 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 uh, capitalized king alcohol higher power subject i had a vision of myself as we were reading this you know on my knees bowing you know raising up my arms raising down bowing to to the to the food that was on the throne you know it it decided what i did it decided how i felt it decided how i looked nothing nothing in me had anything to do other than my relationship to food you know how i felt how i uh Everything, just everything. I was subject to King uh, Alcohol. And I just need to say, what a gift to be able to remember this today, to keep it green. As I said, it's been a long time. I've had an incredible transformation where I'm pretty happy, joyous, and free every single day, which, whatever comes down the pike. Because even if it's a rotten, lousy day, I can go to bed and say, this has been a great day because I'm going to bed abstinently and connected to God. Not necessarily in that order, connected to God and abstinent, however it goes. So I'm just so grateful for this meeting. Love you all, and I'll pass. Thank you, Penny. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Good morning. My name is Tony. Robin. Tony, and then Robin. Good, good morning, Tony. Go ahead. Good morning, everybody. Um, I can identify with this paragraph, and it's a reflection of the most alcoholic live double lives. There's the one that I want you to see, and then there's the one that I don't want you to see, and how I was willing to protect that part of me. The Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, personality traits um, as a result of the withdrawal of food and uh, okay and um, you know the the part about the withdrawing uh, in the sense of okay now I'm happy nobody understands me why should I continue to do anything else so I might as well just continue with this madness um, the loneliness was a reflection of being with myself in the midst of other people. The, um, I love you, please stay with me, no, I hate you, go away, um, was a, a common manifestation of, of this whole thing with me. Um, 
and then the other part that I really, really connect was uh, the sorted places or the companionships. Oh, wait a minute. I got a new girlfriend. Now let me fall in love with her, and I don't have to worry about this food addiction. I'll lose weight because I'm in love with her, and I'll use that to overcome my food. And then all of a sudden, I lose maybe 10, 15 pounds. The newness between me and her would wear down, and then it would be like right back to the insanity all over again. And I'm just truly grateful that today that doesn't have to be that way. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Tony. And Robin. Uh, this is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater in Minnesota. I recovered compulsive overeater. <clears throat> if you have any trouble with step two, this is the perfect paragraph to study. This is one of the things that has made such a difference to me. I love the drama of this paragraph. And um, my experience with this program has been the educational variety rather than the burning bush. I uh, I thought I was living my life you know, I mean, I was really miserable. Sure, I was really miserable, but insane? Uh, restore my life to sanity? I don't know. I, I'm pretty sane, not insane. And, um, you know, I came into this program and I found abstinence um, finally after many years of, um, you know, half measures that weren't working for me. And after I found abstinence and started studying this book, I started realizing how much denial I'd been living in. You know, I, and I would read this paragraph over and over. And each one of these words, terror, well, for the hideous four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair, each one of those words taken by itself, eh, it's not so bad. I was doing okay, right? But then, you know, as, as I started, as the... As I started sobering up, as I started letting more and more of this program into my life, I recognized this is a really hideous way to live. It wasn't just one of these things at a time. This is the way I lived all the time, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. And I couldn't see it in its um, fullness until I'd been abstinent for a while. And then, and then I started seeing, oh, yeah, this is the way life has been for me all my life. And if you go up to the top, the chilling vapor that is loneliness settled down, I wouldn't even admit to anybody that I was lonely because that felt so humiliating to me to admit that I needed other people. And this is what my life had become. I was in a cave by myself, huddled in there, afraid of the world, afraid of you, afraid of everything, afraid of God because I was so um, enraptured by my food I, I could not stop doing the one thing that was isolating me from the rest of the world. Because when I'm in my food, I'm thinking about how I can get my food from you. I'm thinking about how I can protect myself from you finding out about my food. There's this giant wedge that goes between me and the rest of the world when I'm eating like that. It separates me from the world. It separates me from my higher power. And what follows then, I, I was not meant to live alone. My higher power put me on this earth so that I could be part of the human race. And when I'm by myself, yes, indeed, the four horsemen rule my life. Terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. And oh boy, do I understand what they're talking about in this program. And this is not the way I live today, by the way. Thank you very much, and I will pass. Thank you, Robin. 
Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This, this is Paula. Paula, may I share? Paula, yes, and I heard someone else. Lois. Lois, Lois. thank you. And thank you. Uh, you know, I was just thinking, our friend Bill W. was quite the artist, wasn't he, with words? But I was thinking if you were in an art gallery and you saw a picture like this, oh, you'd want to pass it by quickly. Look at the, there they are shivering of his of inhabitants of his mad realm in a vapor of loneliness. Now, this is the picture that he's painting for you. It thickened, ever becoming blacker. Wouldn't you want to quickly, quickly walk by that picture? But they see that's your life. There is no walking by because you're living it. And that part, momentarily we did. I'm going to scoot right down to that last time. Find understanding, companionship, approval. Momentarily we did, but then look what happens here. Then would come oblivion. Oh, you walk back and you look at the picture again. You go back into that life yet again. And look at what you see now. The four horsemen. And it says the awful awakening. Awful awakening. There was no awakening in joy. Oh, another day. No, another day. Another day. Seems like a very bleak picture. But why Why does he... Do you see what the way he ends it with an explanation point? Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand because we lived it. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Lois. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, I just had to share on this. This this totally describes my life, you know, in, in, in compulsive overeating, um, especially somebody mentioned something about, you know, being in a wedding. Well, just before I surrendered and came into Overeaters Anonymous, that was what was going on in my life. I was, it was, I was the mother of the, the son, my son. My son was getting married. And, um, and we were going gown shopping, you know, the, the whole group of us. And it seemed as though, you know, other people in this group were, were so, it was such a happy occasion. And it really was supposed to be a happy occasion. Um, you know, everyone was a, a normal size and they were, you know, looking good in everything they tried on. And I was, um, I was 270 pounds. And nothing I put on looked good. Or I felt good. No matter what I looked on, I didn't feel good. And I, I was so, I was into that, the, the um, excuse me, the chilling vapor that is loneliness settling down. You know, that was, that was one of them. Um, I was lonely in this group, in this wonderful celebration of a, a marriage of two beautiful people. But, you know, uh, food, compulsive overeating had me by the throat. I was deep down into myself. I was resentful that other people could, could you know, look good in all of these clothes. I was cut off from the Lord. Um, I was just despair, and, and I had absolutely no hope. And that was my spirit. That was where my spirit was dead. And it was shortly after that, that, that terrible bottom that I never, ever want to forget, was when I, 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 I just couldn't live with hope, without hope anymore. And I reached out to somebody in Overeaters Anonymous. And, um, and my life has been, you know, been wonderful ever since. You know, I began, I began recovery then, you know, going, taking the steps and going through the steps. 
And it just seems so wonderful to look back at that and to um, be where I am today. You know, I, I do have the program. I, I I look forward to another day of recovery, being being um, being in recovery and helping other recovering people. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Hedy. Thank you so much. Hedy, go ahead. Hi, Leah. Good morning. This is Hedy, compulsive overeater. Um, I love this paragraph, and I love this chapter of a vision for you, this chapter 11, of what God's vision is for me. The less people tolerate us, the more we withdrew from society and from life itself. How true this is. As you take him sudden king alcohol, I started, you know, I, was, I became dishonest with who I am, with who I was. I held back from sharing with other people, um, dishonest with my feelings, holding back. They don't know who I am. I built this wall, a wall of fear, selfish-centeredness, selfish, um, self-seeking around me that no one was able to get in. And um, I was just over here, um, shivering dinners in the mountain, the chilling vapor that is lonely settled down, and it thickened, ever becoming blacker. And I just think of a little soda bottle that when you throw it down, all of a sudden, um, you don't want to open it after you pick up, and it just like will explode um, like a volcano, and all these feelings exploded. And I'm just so grateful that I was able. I am able through the step work, and it just um, first of all, um, I wanted to just read when um, I read this paragraph. It connected very much to page 52 in um, We Agnostics, where it says in the second paragraph. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of hopeless uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be a real help to other people. Was not a basic solution of these developments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. And I just like how um, this program, it worked, and um, it just helps me to see and live in the reality today. And um, I'm just, you know, to be able to share honestly who I am um, with other people around me and develop relationships that are wonderful and happy. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Leah. I'd like to share in a couple of statements here. It says, the less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society and from life itself. Why did people uh, have an inability to tolerate us? Well, perhaps that was because of some of our behavior. You know, sometimes we're touchy, we're sensitive. People have to walk on eggshells around us. We're emotionally unpredictable. Being around us is like walking through a landmine. We're irresponsible, unde- you know, undependable, unreliable. Uh, you know, perhaps that. Perhaps we say no to social events, and perhaps people kind of give up on us. Um, you know, that can happen. The less people tolerate us, the more we withdrew from society and from life itself. I mean, this is not just about sneaking into a bathroom stall and downing a few candy bars. This is about breaking relationship with other people. This is a turning away 
You know, this was a turning away from other people. This was a turning away from community. It was a turning away, a separation from God, and a an attempt to live life through uh, self-sufficiency. It's masquerading as God, you know, but and trying to sustain oneself, turning away from the usual means of sustaining uh, ourselves and turning inward and, you know, not living normally emotionally and spiritually, not developing that way, not developing that way, turning away and you know from the usual means of sustaining myself emotionally and spiritually, and normal ways of confronting one's troubles and challenges, uh, you know I was just separating myself from life that's what we end up doing, separating ourselves from life because because food holds out this illusion of an easier, softer way. And I kept buying that, <laughs> buying that sales job of the disease, you know, that this time it will give me enough ease and comfort to handle a certain situation or to handle a challenge when inevitably it just kept pulling me further and further and further away from life. I mean, at the point that I crawled my way into recovery with tombstones in my eyes, uh, my relationship with my family was in threads. I basically had no friends. I almost had no marriage. And I certainly had no hope. I had no hope that anything would be any different. It says, as we became subjects of King Alcohol, shivering denizens of his mad realm, the chilling vapor that his loneliness settled down, it thickened, ever becoming blacker. Yes, it became blacker, because if you continue to compulsively overeat, and you're like me, a real compulsive overeater, and you continue to compulsively overeat to have that good feeling and to have that sense of ease and comfort and to have that sense of relief. If you're like me, if you're a real compulsive overeater like me, one day you soon realize it stops working and you will compulsively overeat with more without knowing why. You know, without knowing why. Sitting in that dark parking lot, digging my fists into bag after bag after bag after bag, knowing, knowing that, um, you know, there was, I, I was surrounded by broken dreams and hopes of anything being different, and I wanted to stop, and I couldn't. You know, I had to, I had to have that relief and that ability to be able to recapture that, that what I thought was wonderful. But if you're a real compulsive overeater like me and you do that, instead of experiencing ease and comfort and ex instead of diluting any type of anger or any type of fear or any type of re resentment or any type of anxiety, those things will only intensify. If you compulsive overeat like I did, uh, you'll know a new meaning of guilt, a new, a new meaning of fear, a new meaning of resentment, a new meaning of shame, a new meaning of guilt, a new meaning of self-hate, a new meaning of terror, bewilderment, and fear. You know, that's exactly uh, my experience. That's exa exactly my experience. My life was deteriorating much faster than I could lower my standards. And with that, I pass. Anyone else? like to comment on this paragraph. This is Diane from New Hampshire. This is Judith. Diane. Diane and then Judith. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, yes, I, <clears throat> yes, late yesterday afternoon I found out that one of my cousins passed away, and um, 
I seem to be losing a lot of my cousins that are younger than me. And about uh, two years ago, this cousin that just died yesterday's brother and father passed away. And these are, I mean, relatives that I, I don't see anymore, but as children, we were all very close. Um, and I never went to the wake. I never went to the funeral for either one of them, and I always felt guilt about that. And I would, I used the excuse that it was too far away. It was a three-and-a-half-hour drive, and um, it wasn't that. I was just too fat. I was always the fat cousin. I was always the fat one, and I always thought they talked about me when, you know, when I, let's see how big she is this time. Um, you know, I, I, the pain of that, the pain of having to face all my cousins now that I don't see um, but I love, and then, you know, I just, I, I was, my binge foods ruled my life, and, and I, I was, they seemed to be so normal, and I wasn't, um, I was not normal with the food, and so, you know, I, I said to my husband last night, you know, it's not that I didn't want to be there last time, um, but I was just so big, and, and so, negative and I had a God in my life but not a God in my life the way I have today because of these wounds. Thank you. I pass. Thank you. And Judith, please. Okay, thanks Leah, everybody. This is Judith in Vermont, Compulsive Reader. Um, I've always wondered what denizen meant <clears throat> and I always um, assumed it meant citizen. So I finally looked it up and it is a person admitted to residence in a foreign country, especially an alien admitted to rights of citizenship, or one that frequents a place. And the synonyms will uh, <laughs> be all too familiar with us. Um, they are things like client, customer, guest, patron, addict, buff, bug, devotee, enthusiast, fan, fanatic, fancier, fiend, freak, lover, maniac, nut. <clears throat> so we have been citizens of a murky realm, a horrible place to be a citizen, and we have been admitted as foreigners. So I think that says a lot about our disease. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Judith. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Joanna. Joanna, go ahead. Hi, my name is Joanna, and I'm a recovering compulsive eater and exerciser. Um, for me, um, as I am growing in a deeper abstinence, I see the hideous four horsemen on both sides. So with the eating and exercising and not eating, there's the terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. And now without the food and without uh, or the various manipulations of the food and, and, um, and manipulation of the body, I also find a terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair in the sense that I don't, um, I feel like I don't know what to do with myself, that I'm living in a new realm. And um, I... I understand and I hear the hope 
um, in meetings like this and when I go to face-to-face meetings. And I've had that hope. I have days of of feeling like I'm really living, um, and yet it feels really overwhelming. Like um, one, you know, how did how did I not know that there was this thing called life that everyone's been doing for so long? And like, what have I been doing? And um, so there's there's a, a real, um, I guess, sadness or sorrow about that. And then just kind of the confusion of what does it mean to be me? Like, what what happens on those days when um, you know in in my life now when I'm not using food and exercise? How do I? What do I do when the terror bewilderment comes? because it comes when I'm afraid of my boss. It comes when I'm afraid of disappointing someone. It, it comes when I'm afraid to just be with myself and to hear my own thoughts. And um, so for me, um, I guess I, I'm still really seeking the... Um, someone mentioned in a meeting the other day um, that there's, you know, there's kind of that honeymoon phase where you stop eating and you're like, yeah, this is great, you know, you have this new abstinence, and then the compulsion, the obsession of the mind always returns. And I just, I found that really helpful because I, I feel like that's, that's true for me, that it's, okay, the food's gone, the exercising, all that, now there's the obsession of the mind, and what do I do with that? And um, I guess for me, what this program has taught me is that I do have options and tools. So, me personally, what I'm going to do is just keep coming back, um, look for a sponsor, and um, and just, um, I guess, really take in the words of the people in recovery saying that, that it sounds like they, too, um, have gone through various things and been able to um, not only just not eat about it, but actually, like, overcome the lack of life skills that they, um, you know, that they lack. So um, that's all I have. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Joanna. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, my name is Esther. I'd like to share. Go ahead, please. Hi, good morning. Um, I'm just relating to the sharing so much because uh, I, I, I can't even get the words out. Um, somebody on the line mentioned about not being in the bridal party because of the shame of her overeating and the side effects. And I, you don't even know that this is the reason. Um, I think that also people don't take you, because of your overweightness, people don't take you seriously. They feel that it's subconscious, but they feel that if you can't control your weight, how could you possibly have a valid point about anything? Um, And when you go for job interviews, uh, because I've been unemployed for a while now, and I know it's there. I I know um, there's no other reason why I shouldn't. Um, get the job if I am qualified. Um, I think people see us as almost disabled. That we 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 if we cannot control our our weight, um, how can we possibly 
um, I don't know, like make decisions about uh, daily things that a job requires. It's almost like we're disabled or we're, be, we're seen as disabled or we see ourselves as disabled. Um, so um, when I'm in this program and I'm able to turn away food, I'm able to say no, thank you, and give myself the power, I know, I hope, I hope very, very much that one day I'll be able to gain employment um, because I'm a strong person and I want that to come shining through. And I really appreciate the shares of people putting themselves out there. Um, um, there's a lot of pain. There's so much pain in this disease. Um, and it's, it's, it's so painful. I, I have tears in my eyes just thinking about all the pain I've been through because um, of the rejection and not knowing why I am rejected. And because of the sharing, I, 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 I think, I mean, it's a very, very hard reality to know that people are rejecting you because you are overweight. And um, with that, I pass. Thank you so much for letting me share on that path. Thank you. And we're out of time. And thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Judy B., will you please read a vision for you? Certainly. This is Judy B., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.